This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, hey, how's everybody doing? My name's Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad to have you with us Easter Sunday. We've been in a series for the last few weeks called Rise in the Storm. And really kind of buried within that series has been this identity that we believe that God created us to be people who can overcome that we can rise in the midst of failure, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of the things that knock us down, we can overcome. If you didn't get to be a part of those conversations, I would encourage you, you can go back on our website and listen to those. But see, one of the things that uh, we need to kind of concede, if we have that desire to, to overcome, we, we have that longing to learn how to rise, we need to concede at first that we've fallen. As a matter of fact, that's a hard truth, but it's something that we need to start by talking about today, that we have all fallen, every single one of us. That's something that we don't like to hear. We like to hear how awesome we are and how good we are at life and how many accomplishments we could possibly have. But we don't like to hear that we've blown it, but that's exactly what the Bible says about us in Romans 3.23. It says this about everybody, me included, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I think that sometimes, you know, when we face that reality, we actually start to go, well, it's just me. I'm, I'm such a sinner. I'm such a failure. And I want you to realize it's not just you. As a matter of fact, this starts at the very beginning. In the very beginning of the Bible, we are introduced into uh, kind of the, the first offerings of humanity in Adam and Eve. And God gives him perfection in a garden and says, please live here. I've made this for you. And I'm going to give you everything that you could need. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you more than you need. I'm going to come every day and spend time with you. But there's one rule. There's a tree that I don't want you to eat from. One rule. And they blew it. See, I think that God, even from the very beginning, is telling us that rules won't work. How many of y'all know that? If you're at the office and you've got that neurotic friend who always brings the yogurt and then puts, like, signs on there, don't eat my yogurt, you want to eat their yogurt. Right? You don't, there's something, all of a sudden, you don't even like yogurt, and you want their yogurt. Right? One rule, we, we, we want to naturally inside of us, there's something that rebels against those. And in that, when Adam and Eve broke that one simple command, the world was broken. Everything within the world was broken. Relationships were broken. The way that we think and reason and understand was broken. Our nature itself was broken. The world was broken. Sickness and illness entered into perfection. And see, there are different types of us in here today. Different types of people who have fallen and I just want to kind of talk about what categories we might fall into. There are some of us in here that we're fallen and we're proud of it. We're fallen. We're the people who have fallen face down into the mud. We get up and we're like, woohoo, look at me. Your friends are like, buddy, buddy, that's, that's not mud. 
that's not mud that you fell in. It smells pretty bad. And you don't realize it because you've been laying in it so long. You don't realize how devastating and difficult it is. Some of us have fallen and we're proud of the fall. There are some of us, number two, that we're unaware that we've fallen. We're unaware. The book of Proverbs reminds us more than just once that there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is death. You've experienced this in your own life. You ever been to that point where you were absolutely thoroughly convinced that you were right about something, but you found out weeks, days, even hours later that you were wrong? You ever, have you ever been there? All of us have been there. And the truth is, is that even right now, there are things about your life that you are wholeheartedly convinced about that are not true. We're fallen, but we're unaware. There's some of us in here that are number three. I used to fall, but I used to fall. I used to be the person that makes mistakes, but then I got my life right. I used to be the person that fell, but, but then I met Jesus. Now I got my act together. No, you just are too prideful to admit that you still fall. See, the Bible says in Proverbs 24, 16, that the righteous may fall seven times, but they will rise eight. The truth kind of hidden within that is that falling is something that we're going to encounter over and over and over again. What we must learn how to do is to rise. So I'm praying that we all become the fourth kind of person that's here today, that we fall, but we're committed to rise. I may be falling in life, but I am committed to rising. And if we're going to have a conversation that talks about what does it mean to rise, that conversation has to start at the cross. Because at the cross, we find the key ingredients to understand what it means to overcome. So today in your notes, what I'd like to do is just spend a few moments talking about what the cross of Jesus means to us today. The first thing that I want you to see that happened at the cross is that at the cross, Jesus pled guilty for our crimes. Now, you're probably sitting there saying, I've never murdered somebody. What do you mean, my crimes? I know I do the five miles an hour overthink. I know that, all right? So I'll plead guilty to that one. But I've never, like, what, what crimes are you talking about? See, the Bible describes the life that God wants us to live as God's law. And every single one of us has looked into the heart of God's law and said, no, I'm not going to do it your way. I'm going to do it my own way. And when that happened, we broke the law. But Jesus, well, Jesus pled guilty for the crimes that we committed. Look what the Bible says about him in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21. This week I was driving my kids to school. I get the awesome privilege of getting them ready and taking them to school, which means that every day that I take them to school, they're at least 15 minutes late, and it's horrible. All right, I know that. All right, I should be punished for that. And I was driving them, and, and my, my daughter and my son both like to talk to me while we're driving, and, and we were talking, and my, my daughter said, Dad, it's Easter this week. Do you know what that means? I said, no, why don't you tell me? And she said, 
It's all about Jesus. So well, why, why don't you tell me? She's got awesome preschool teachers here right down the hall. I'm so thankful for the staff at Vortex Kids. They do such a good job. And she's got phenomenal preschool teachers at the little preschool te- that she goes to. And, and she said, Dad, at Easter, they beat Jesus. And they beat him so bad, he was bloody and he was sad and he cried. I said, really? So what else happened at Easter? She said, there were some mean men who took him. And he had a beard, and they pulled out portions of his beard. And then there were other guys that came, and they made a crown out of thorns, and they put it on his head. And they pushed it into his head until he bled. And he was sad, and he cried. She's like, okay, baby, what else happened? And she said, well, Dad, they made Jesus carry a cross. And he put it on his back and he carried it until he couldn't carry it anymore. And then they took him right outside the city and they nailed him to a cross and they put him on the cross and he died on the cross. I'm pretty impressed at this point because she's four and trying to figure out if she understands. I said, well, why did Jesus die on the cross? She said, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That's a great answer. Now I'm going to figure out if you understand this. Can you tell me what that means? This is when you know she's four. She goes, no, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> and so I said, let me try to explain it in a way that you might understand it. I said, baby, have you ever known that you are about to get your butt whooped? She said, yeah, I have. Like, you tell me to go clean my room, and I don't clean my room. I know I'm going to get my butt whooped. I said, well, just imagine this. I send you in. Say, go clean your room. And you go in, and you play with your toys, and it's 30 minutes later, so when I told you that your room needed to be cleaned, and I come in there, what's going to happen? I'm going to get my bow whooped. I said, well, what if this happened instead, that your little brother Clay said, no, Daddy, whoop me. And, and her face grew long. And she said, Daddy, that would make me sad because he would be punished for something that I did. And I said, baby, that's exactly what happened on the cross. Jesus pled guilty, and every time you plead guilty, there's a punishment that goes with it. So number two, the second thing that happened at the cross is that Jesus was punished for our sins. Jesus was punished for our sins. See, you should have been punished. I should have been punished. But Jesus pled guilty, and in pleading guilty, in being the person who stepped in to become the substitute for us, Jesus then took on himself the punishment that should have been placed on us. In Isaiah 53, the great prophet Isaiah, writing prophetically looking forward to the cross, wrote about what was happening in that moment. And I'm going to read that to you. He, Jesus, was... Wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, the punishment for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. See, all we like sheep have gone astray. and We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. God laid on Jesus 
the punishment for all of our sins. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might be made right with Christ. See, I think that sometimes we think about ourselves in a way that God does not think about us. We think about our lives in such a way that we could possibly earn our way out of the punishment that is due. That we could possibly be good enough to never have to plead guilty. And I think that deep within our hearts, we know that both of those are not possible. And so God, through Jesus, paid a price that we ourselves could never pay. You see, you could never make the sacrifice that Jesus made. You could never be the perfect, unspotted, perfect lamb that was sacrificed for the world. But Jesus could because he had never sinned. And so God laid on him. Jesus paid the price. He paid it all. See, the gospel of Jesus begins with a mighty blow to humanity as we see it where Jesus dies. But the story doesn't end in death. See, while he may have absorbed the penalty, stepped in and pled guilty for our sins, that's not where the story ends. As a matter of fact, the story ends in life. It ends in a resurrection, which is why today we're here not to celebrate a dead man that we can go see his tomb. We're here to celebrate a risen Savior that is alive and present in our lives today. And I want to point out a few things to you today that the resurrection means to us. Because I think that as we go through days like this, we can let that which is truth kind of pass by us and not absorb actually what it means to us. So the first thing I want you to see that the resurrection means to us today is that sin and death have been defeated. Sin and death through the resurrection have been defeated. Now, it takes a moment for me to explain that because we have to talk about sin. See, sin leads to death. Just like us going to work tomorrow morning, like you go there and you participate in the efforts of the organization to which you work for, and they, at the end of the week, they pay you a paycheck. Look at what the Bible says that sin actually earns. Romans 3, 23, it says it's the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. When we sin, the paycheck for sin is death. That's what we earn. But I want you to see that because of the resurrection, that where sin has brought an infection, that infection does not have to end in death. That there is a hope that transcends the sin that we've seen enter its devastation and wreck its havoc in this world. That the infection of sin no longer has to lead to death because through the resurrection, Jesus defeated sin and death. So let me talk to you about where that might actually hit you today. Some of you are are wrestling with issues in your family. You have kids that you know have wandered away from Jesus. Some of y'all just trying to beat sense into them. All right? I want you to understand that where the world only sees death, that death has been defeated. That that's not the end of the story. Some of us have blown it financially. 
and we're facing some difficult financial times because we've overspent, we've spent money that we don't have trying to impress people that we don't even like, right? And we've, we've emptied ourselves, ran up credit card debt, and I want you to understand that even though that is sinful, that where there has been sin, sin does not always lead to death, that there is hope in Jesus. For some of us today, you're in here, and you're facing in your marriage a very difficult season. You've struggled. There's been something maybe recent, maybe years ago, that's provided tension between you and your spouse. And that sin, the wages that that sin would naturally earn is death. It's failure. And the natural consequence of that sin, as it would work out without the intervention of God, is death. But I want you to see today that there's hope. Look at what the Bible says in Peter. 1 Peter 1.3, it says, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. There's hope in the resurrection. So number two, you have permission to have hope in all circumstances. You have permission to have hope in all circumstances. Some of us like to write this story before the end of the story is written. And I want you to understand something about that Sunday. That Sunday where a group of of women went to decorate the body of Jesus. Nobody expected nobody. Nobody expected there to be nobody in the tomb. But there was nobody in the tomb. Nobody expected that. As a matter of fact, it was outside the realm of their expectation. But that which was impossible is possible to God. And when you are facing impossible circumstances, I want you to understand that that's the exact place that the power of God can intervene in your life and do something that you never could. See, through the resurrection of Jesus, we have the permission to have hope. In all circumstances. Let me ask you today. What's that place in your life that you have lost hope? That you're struggling to see the outcome through a faithful lens. What's that? Is it over a child? Is it over your finances? Is it, is it in a relationship? Is it in your health? Where are you today? See, because the resurrection of Jesus lets us, in all circumstances, be hopeful. But number three, this is important. If I could drill down on anything, I want to get this to you today, that we can only come overcome through Jesus. We can only overcome through Jesus. See, we live in a culture that rewards individual effort. And there's a lot of us that like to think, if I work hard enough, if I give it enough effort, if I give it enough attention, if I try and give it my whole heart, I can do this. I can overcome it. But I want you to see today, no. Because at the end of our life, in our final breaths, there is nothing that we face that makes us feel more impotent and futile than death. See, we do not have the power to stop death. I don't know if you've done the surveys recently, but the mortality rate among Americans is still 100%. 
Everybody dies. And when wrestling with death, we come face to face with the fact, the fact that, that we, don't, we don't own that, but Jesus has defeated it. And we don't overcome by our own strength. As a matter of fact, you don't overcome because of your friends or your family either. In Stanley County, it's not uncommon when I'm talking to somebody who's going through a major issue with their family for them to say, well, you know, I'll, I'll ask them, well, are, you, are you involved in your church? Are you, are you living in community with other believers? Those kind of things. And they'll say, well, you know, I'm not now, but I went to church a lot as a kid. My grandfather is a Baptist pastor. Well, that's great for your grandpa, but that doesn't affect your relationship with God. Talk to me about yours. We don't get a free ticket into heaven because we have good kids or because our parents were awesome, all right? It's all about your relationship with God. And the only way that you overcome, the only way that you rise in life is through Jesus. So I think it is worth asking the question then, if the only way I rise is through Jesus, how do I go about doing that? What does that look like for me? And the first thing I want you to know is that if we're going to rise with Jesus, the invitation that Jesus would give you today is that if you look at him coming out of the tomb, you too in your own tombs can resurrect to new life. So how do we rise with him? The first thing that we must do is we must recognize that it's no longer our life. It's not our life. See, so many of you are trying to live your own life, trying to do things your way. And you're upset and frustrated with other people, people that you love and you live with when they won't do it your way. But see, for those of us who are living that resurrected new life, it's those of us that say, it's no longer my life, God, it is your life living within me. The Apostle Paul, in Scripture, one of the most dramatic conversion stories, he's a man who was murdering Christian who is met by Jesus and gives his life to God, and God uses him to start churches all over. He writes this in Galatians 2.20, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. See, we have to get to a point where we say, it's not even my life anymore, God. I'm laying my will down. I'm not going to do it. It's not, it's not my strength. It's not my force. God, it's not my life. It's yours. Come and live in me. So how do we do that? Is that after a while, we have to get to this point where we finally say, God, I'm going to choose to do it your way. I'm tired of doing it my way. God, I know that you've told me to do things like to be forgiving and to be giving, and to be gracious. And I've held back from those things because I thought it was better for me. I like to hold grudges. But that stuff's killing me. So God, I'm going to choose to do it your way. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said in the most outrageous, bold statement in human history, he said, if you really want to understand the way, look at me. Follow me. If you want to know what real life is, look at me. I'm real life. We must choose to let God direct our life. Now, here's what we're going to do right now. There are a lot of us in this room today that we just need a moment to process that. 
You need a moment. I'm not talking about a decision you made 20 years ago or at a VBS when you were a kid. I'm talking about the decision that you're making every day right now in your life. Where are you with Jesus? Are you the person that has said to God, God, I'm giving up my life. I want you to live in me. I'm giving up my will. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to do it my way. God, I'm going to do it your way. Or have you been trying to negotiate a deal? God, I'll give you this. I'll come to church a little bit, but I'm still going to do things my way. Because there are no deals to be negotiated. God takes your sin, but in that, he takes your life. And through that, we get to experience the gloriousness of him living through us. So I want us to pray, and I want us to wrestle with that right now. God, we just come before you today, and we ask you, God, could you please speak to us? God, we, we, we need to kind of encounter your voice and kind of sense where we are with you. So many of us have been running from you, God. And we, we know that we've tried to negotiate and say, God, I, I'll do this, but I won't do that. And God, I'm going to hold on to this part of my life, but I, I really don't want to give this thing up. And God, God, there's this hurt that I, that I don't want to expose it and let you heal it. God, there's this frustration that I'm dealing with that I don't want you to, to fix it. God, I just want to be able to continue to be frustrated. And so much of... Our hearts have been hidden from you. And so today, God, I just pray that through your mercy, you would allow us to stop running. Stand back and let you step in and plead guilty on our behalf. You've already done it. All we have to do is receive that gift. And God, you give us the invitation to step into a new life and to rise with you. God, I pray that every one of us today will receive that invitation. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.